filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So as I said, we're continuing on this journey here. And this day, I mean, that is an amazing thing, isn't it? This day of Pentecost. And whilst that is dramatically amazing, that is not the whole story of the Holy Spirit. It's not the whole box and dice. It's not the only amazing thing which the Holy Spirit has done. And we saw last week that the Holy Spirit has created a universe. It's created life, both man, both animal and human, and, and vegetable and mineral and all the, the earls. <laughs> Not only that, having created it, he sustains it. He sustains the whole world and then he's deeply involved in this process which has brought all of us this morning to be in church, to be redeemed, to be saved from the curse of sin. And that he, even more than that, he comes to live within every person who puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we did nothing else and just took that away and said, God is within me, the infinite is within me. I mean, that's an astounding thing to ponder over and over and over. And we see at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is working to a plan. He's working a plan, Godhead, God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit have developed the plan and at this feast at Pentecost, this is the next step in their plan in redemption history. Now Jesus, just before it, in the 40 days between when he was resurrected and when he was taken up to heaven, uh, predicted it. And Acts 1 verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, this is why. He gave them a reason. That you will receive power. That's the reason. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the purpose, as Jeff pointed out just a bit earlier, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and on to the ends of the earth. He said this. He said that the apostles are going to receive power to tell people about Jesus. And so we see a little bit later in Acts chapter 8, Philip's gone to Samaria, which is like the, the next suburb up uh, with the not so nice people. We're a bit doubtful about them, you know. Uh, and he goes there and there's healings, there's deliverances and it's, things are happening. So the apostles say, well, let's send Peter and John, they'll, they'll check it out and see what's going on there. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And that's the, uh, the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. For what? The first one was the Jews. This is now for the next group, next door, the Samaritans. And then... We find our third target group for the expansion of God called the God-fearers. Now, God-fearers, they're sort of people who hung around with the Jews because they knew something was right about it and they knew there had to be a God and they're doing their best to live a godly life. 
but they hadn't quite got the full message. And in the place of Corinth, there's this one guy, a uh, centurion, means he's a pretty high up army officer in the Italian regiment. And this guy, he and all his family, they're devout, they're God-fearing, and they give generously to those in need. They're praying to God regularly. So this is the next group of people who hang around with the spiritual stuff. But the Holy Spirit had to do some extra work on Peter to get Peter to understand something important, that the gospel needed to break out of just being Jewish, needed to break out of Jewish hands, because the Jews were very prejudiced. They thought they were the only chosen ones, and that prejudice had to be broken. And so Peter gets given a vision by God, and he takes notice. After the vision, he began to speak, and he says, well, oh yeah, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. And then interestingly, he's preaching there and he doesn't do any laying on of hands or anything special. And what happens? While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all the people who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter, they were just astonished that this gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, which are just people who aren't Jews. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And that's like the third baptism with the Holy Spirit for the third target group of people. Although it's not called a baptism, Baptism with the Holy Spirit on that, that part, it's, immediate, it's immediately followed by water. But it is the third time the Holy Spirit comes in a special way, a special manifestation to reach this group of people. And then we get the fourth group. We go further down in the book of Acts to chapter 19 to the people who are not Jews at all. And the Apostle Paul's gone from Corinth here with the God-fearers. He's gone off to Ephesus, found some disciples, and they didn't have the whole story. They had heard of something. They'd heard about John the Baptist's message that they need to turn away from their sins. And a lot of people know they shouldn't be naughty. But, and they'd been baptized with that understanding, but they needed more. They needed to know it's not just about not being naughty, it's about meeting Jesus. And so Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in. Jesus and on hearing this they were baptized in the name of Jesus and when Paul placed his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them they spoke in tongues and they prophesied and there were about 12 men in all and so the Holy Spirit plants within believers the power to take the message of Jesus to the whole world and Jesus prediction at the beginning of the book is fulfilled his prediction that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and even to Makanbudin. Amen. We're, this is the fulfillment of what we see in the Bible there. So after these four main events, the development in the development of the early church, then their understanding of the Holy Spirit starts to move on a bit and become a bit more mature. And they we come in the epistles and the letters and the work and the writing of Paul to this thought, 
Paul says there's only one baptism. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And Paul's quite clear that that baptism is what happens when you become a believer in Jesus. For we were all baptised into one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Being baptised is a whole body experience. You go all the way under the water, you come up, it's your whole body. And Paul is saying that being baptised by the Holy Spirit is a total life experience. You see, when you believe, it's not just that your sins are forgiven, but your entire life is transformed because you are removed from one domain and placed in another domain. And another way of talking about it is Jesus said you need to be born again and that's a way of describing what happens when you wholeheartedly give your life to Jesus. You don't get half born, you get completely born. You, all, you become a new creation. And so whether you feel it or not, whether you understand it or not, anyone who believes in Jesus is baptised into a completely new reality because it's moved from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and you move to the kingdom of light. And it's not that the getting baptised is the process or the power that makes it happen because water baptism just reflects something radically powerful that God did in spiritual reality because when you give your life to Jesus, you receive the baptism by the Holy Spirit, the immersion into a completely new spiritual reality. Let's see what it says about that in Ephesians 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. And, and it takes a lot of words and phrases and sentences to try and put into, re into language the reality of what happens to us when we entrust our lives to Jesus. And one of the ways in that passage there is uh, receiving from the Holy Spirit a seal. You know, that's like you know, in the old days, you didn't, you, you had to roll up, write your, your stuff, roll it up in a scroll and, and stop it unrolling. You've got a hot wax, put it on the end. And then if you're an official guy, you, you put your seal into the wax. The wax keeps it stopped, closed. The seal says who closed it and then it becomes official. It's got authority. And when you become a Christian, you get all of the Holy Spirit you need in order to move from the one kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you get the Holy Spirit living within you as that type of official seal pressed into your life, guaranteeing that you are bought from the slave market of sin. And that's what redemption is. You don't need another baptism with the Holy Spirit because you already are baptised by the Holy Spirit. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And nowhere in the Bible does it say you need another baptism 
of the Holy Spirit. But there are many places where you are encouraged to be filled with the Spirit. And the most common place where that's said is in Ephesians 5.18, or the most often used passage. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And sing, and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to get a little bit grammatical here. That phrase, be filled, that's in what's called a present passive tense. So it's, the present means it's in the here and now. It's something to do here and now. It's an imperative, which means it's an order. And it's about a process of being continually filled. And, and the root meanings of this being filled talk about things like being imbued with something. You know, you've got, got a big pile of water and you put some dye in and the dye just changes the colour of the water. It imbues it with something new. But it's not like when you just fill a glass with water. Because, you know, you fill up the cup and it's full. You can't keep filling it, can you? It's more like being filled, be filled, being filled like a ship. It's got sails and they're filled with the wind. And it's ongoing and it's continuous. Be filled just like wind fills the sails. And then even more specifically... In the fine details of Greek, when it's followed by a little Greek word en, en, it's either locative, which means it's associated with a particular location, but here more specifically, it's more likely that it's instrumental. In other words, a means or an influence. So, so if you're going to be filled by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the instrument or the means of doing the filling. And so in order to go and be filled with the Spirit, it's not something you conjure up yourself. You don't put your money in the Nickelodeon and then buy a certain amount of the Spirit. Rather, just as the wind will blow in a sail, as and how the wind does blow, so the wind of the Holy Spirit will fill our lives as and how he wants to, by his own power in his own way, according to his wishes. Our job's not to go out and control the wind and point it where we want it to go, because we can't do that, but our job is to be ready to go with the power of the wind, to work with that power in appropriate ways to achieve what needs to be done and to go where we need to go under the power of the wind. So it's a question of how we can actively do something which is passive, you know? We don't fill ourselves. We're commanded to receive God's fullness, but not to produce it ourselves. All of which means that being filled with the Spirit is not a single event. It's an ongoing reality. It should be happening repeatedly, every day. Well, okay, what's it look like? Be filled with the Spirit. What's it look like in practice? And well, one of the things we saw was at Pentecost, in this particular case, the first manifestation of the new way of God being with his 
with his people, with his children. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in that case, there they were speaking in genuine languages because people heard them in, the, in those languages. And so that's, what, that's one, one thing the Holy Spirit does. Let's see what else the Holy Spirit does. We've got Peter. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? He said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And here he is. He's dragged before the Sanhedrin and he's filled with the Holy Spirit to defend himself in court. That's, that's a reason, a manifestation of what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They reported all that chief priests and elders had done. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? Speaking the word of God boldly. It enables them to evangelize boldly. And so those are empowering for a specific time, for a specific situation. But being filled with the Spirit can also be a characteristic of your life. Because, you know, it came to a point when they needed some more guys to do some work around the place. And so, um, brothers and sisters, they said, let's choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. It's a characteristic of their life. They are full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we'll let these guys do... Uh, do the things they need to. And that's why when we, we pray and we prepare for people to become deacons and, and leaders and on the board, we want them to have this sort of characteristic, have a lifestyle of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's a manifestation of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What about this one? We've got <coughs> Stephen, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Sorry, that's Stephen's next one. But here, it's just putting together again. A good man is full of the Holy Spirit. We go on to Stephen. He was known to have a lifestyle which was filled with the Holy Spirit, but then he got martyred. And he's getting martyred and he receives, he's full of the Holy Spirit, but he gets an extra infusion of great, of great power. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up into heaven. I don't know if you know that that's an amazing thing. Can you see into heaven? Who enables you to do that? Only the Holy Spirit. He's looking directly into heaven, sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Whoa. And, and so it's like a person who's already full of the Holy Spirit can become more full for a time or a reason. Just like, you know, you've got a balloon... How is the balloon full? Well, it's blown up. But you can blow it up some more. You can make it bigger. And when you think about it, the only human being who could ever be completely filled up with the Holy Spirit was, of course, Jesus. All of us are going to have more space left to be filled up from time to time for working however the Spirit will do. We'll have more room for being filled with the Spirit to the end of our days. Here's another manifestation of being filled with the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by Jordan, by the, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's off to get tempted by the devil. He's filled with the Holy Spirit to face the temptations of Satan, which of course is what 
We should be filled with the Holy Spirit for to face the temptations in our life. And it does that. It comes back. It's full of the Holy Spirit. To do what? To heal people, to cast out demons with authority. What about this as a, a manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Elizabeth goes off to see Mary. They're both pregnant. And the baby leaps in a womb and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She's filled with the Holy Spirit so that the babies would know each other in the womb. And then John the Baptist gets born and his father, Zechariah, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's the manifestation? He prophesies. And so here's a range of things which indicate that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we see you can't nail it down to one thing. There's no one evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, for example, like speaking in tongues. If you consider this, consider all the gifts of the Spirit, consider all the fruits of the Spirit, consider the infinity of God, and you have to admit there's no one size fits all, but rather the work of Holy Spirit in your life is not going to look at, like the work of the Holy Spirit in your neighbour's life. But nevertheless, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The central component is the one Holy Spirit. But because we do have that one Holy Spirit, we can have confidence that he, he can work within us, he can guide us. Because when he comes, he will guide us into all truth. That's one of the things he does in your life. You're feeling guided, you're feeling led. And, and once we're saved and we belong to God, the Spirit comes in, He lives in there forever. He seals us with the confirming, uh, certifying and assuring pledge of the Holy Spirit and says He'll be our comforter and our helper and uh, He'll be our counsellor within us forever. So then we get down to the nitty-gritty of our part. We're told, be filled with spirit. Well, how do you do that? How do you seek to follow the order that from this moment onwards you're going to uh, let the Holy Spirit fill the sails of our life and empower our boat to set the course set before us for the, before the foundation of the world, the, the works in which we are meant to work, walk? And we come straight into the first problem that it's a holy spirit, not a powerful spirit. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. You know, if people are going to put their boat in a race, they clean it up. And if they know it's going to be strong winds, they make sure everything's ship-shaped. And the Holy Spirit, you see, has changed our kingdom status. We're no longer a slave to the sin which kept us from eternal life, but we still have memories. We still have habits from your old sinful life to some extent. And as the Israelites were led out of Egypt, they get, they're given a promised land. Here it is. Here's your land. They go, hold on. It's full of people. We have to go and conquer it. That's like us when we become believers. 
We need a new set of skills. We need to practice. And we need to understand that we are new. We're not in that kingdom anymore. We have a new identity. And that's why we want to stop sinning. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning? So grace may increase? By no means. We are of those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or, or don't you know that all of us were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death. And so now we're in a new domain. We've moved from the Adam family, and that's not the Adam's family. We've moved from the Adam family to the Christ family, and we know that our old self was crucified with him so that that body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died to sin has been set free from sin. And in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, before you become a believer, it was the things you did that gave you your identity. You know, people say, oh, what do you do for a living? But when you become a child of God, this should be reversed. Your identity should create your activity, the things you do. You should do things differently because you are different. And last night at uh, the Mangawai concert, you could feel there was a different spirit behind the Eastern Lions performance and uh, the, the disco and the ABBA uh, things that came after them because their identity, who they were, affected and they had a, a, wholesome, a wholesome entertainment that came and the other guys were a bit more uh, down the uh, party line and party, party, party to the end of the world, you know? And if you go back to Ephesians 5.18, you'll also see something more about what's going on what our life should be like. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. What comes after being filled with the Spirit? You're speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. You're singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. You're always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, really understanding what the Holy Spirit has done when you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, it leads to a lot of singing. It leads to a lot of music. It leads to a lot of thankfulness. And it means that spiritual psalms and songs and hymns, they've got a capacity to reform your thinking, to reinforce the things you understand about Jesus, about who you are as a Christian. And if you do it a lot, it really trains your brain, trains your personality, reorients your personhood. And one more thing to notice is that it's important to notice that when you're baptised with the Holy Spirit, it's a corporate experience. It's being connected to the people alongside you here this morning because you have new brothers and sisters with whom you share a common bond, the Holy Spirit within you. And just as the baby John the Baptist in his womb uh, leapt when Jesus, the mum's connected, there's a sense of familyness with everyone else who believes. There's a connection at a deep level. We know we belong together because we were all baptised by one spirit as to form one body. That's us. There's only one body here. Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're also given how many spirits? Oh, I'm on the right one, am I? Nope. I'm too far forward. One hope. All right. Let's uh, wrap it up. Anyone who is a believer in Jesus has been baptised by the Holy Spirit into a new reality.
And our task is to let that shine out, to live out of our new identity as children of God, as sinners who have been redeemed from the consequences of sin, and us to be filled by the Spirit to become more like Jesus. And to use what he's given us, gifts, talents and abilities, use that to guide our boat so that we rely on the wind of the Spirit and we constantly follow the Spirit's leading in all areas of life. And we've got a lovely promise from Jesus about that at the end. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would show us how to be filled with your Spirit. You try show us how to trust you for that. But when we ask for the Holy Spirit, let us ask from a humble and a contrite spirit. Let us ask from a desire to see you glorified and not us. Let us ask from a desire to see a lost world led to faith in Christ Jesus. Let us ask from a desire for our God-given talents and abilities to be the maximum possible channels of godly blessing to others. Because this is not for us. It's all for Jesus. Amen and hallelujah.